and we are live. Welcome to the Home Lab Show, episode 12, Public Cloud Alternatives with special guest Wendell, because you know he knows a little bit about some cloud alternatives. He may have talked about them on his channel once or a few times, maybe. A few thousand times. <laughs> so I'm here uh, also with Jay uh, from Learn Linux TV, who's being anonymous right now. If you didn't know, Jay, you don't have your camera on, but. <laughs> oh, wow, okay, well that, um, that's something. He's, he's so, here, though. He is definitely here. I am totally here. here. I promise I am here. Yeah. And, that, and for those of you that have listened to us in podcast form, Jay was just absent for a moment, but not a big deal. <laughs> Anyways, this episode is brought to you literally by Linode, because if you downloaded this podcast, it was downloaded off a website that is hosted in Linode, thehomelab.show. That's where we have it hosted. And uh, Jay's going to tell you a little bit more about it, because he's an even longer Linode user than me. Yeah, I think for at least a few years, however long ago it was, we went to PenguinCon. I think, uh, Wendell, you were there that same year, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, Linode was there, um, you know, presenting and giving out cards, and I decided to check them out. So I've been uh, using them for a while. They're the official cloud sponsor, or excuse me, cloud um, supporter or cloud platform, can't talk today, for Learn Linux TV. All of my sites are on Linode, and it's working great. And like Tom mentioned, this one is on there too. So if you didn't think you were using Linode, you were, you're using Linode. If you've ever checked out this podcast, um, anything but live, you're using Linode. And I really like the stack scripts. Basically, there's um, a marketplace as well. You can go there and there's pre-built instances. For example, a Lightspeed WordPress installation, with, which is great if you want to set up a blog. It's super fast, highly recommended. Um, all kinds of things from a Minecraft server are uh, one-click available. And they have things like you know domain management, of course, the Linodes themselves, which are really great cloud servers. You can get them all the way from $5 a month on up, depending on what you, your needs are. And with our offer, with our URL, it's going to give you $100 in free credit. That is good for three months for a new account. So that'll be more than enough to get you started. Yeah, and we have the offer code down below. It is uh, linode.com slash homelabshow. So we have that offer code. And it's kind of important because a few things we're going to be mentioning today, because I know this this topic will come up when we're talking about, you know, replacing the public cloud is, well, I need somewhere to host some of these things, or I want to host these in my house, but I'm behind carrier-grade NAT. One yeah. of the solutions around that is going to be spin up something like a Linode server to proxy this. And uh, we'll, we'll get into that. It's going to be one of the topics we cover is it's definitely yep. a solution. So it just because you don't have a public IP doesn't mean you can't still have some stuff publicly accessible. So we'll, we'll be covering that in today's show. And some of my, my servers are not publicly accessible and they're in Linode, but you can't get to them at all because they're only available to me because I just want to utilize their service for some things. I think that's the most important thing when it comes to home lab is having control. It doesn't mean you have to have everything internal, but as the owner of your home lab, you can decide what it is that you want to handle internally and what is it that you're going to push out to a cloud and you have that control. For sure. So what's the first thing we should talk about? Where should we start with all this? <laughs> well, I think in my opinion, some random kind of uh, shorter best practices, because we've gone over best practices before, but maybe just a few notes about some general things, just in case someone's kind of new without spending too much time on that. Like, for example, um, not making things publicly available unless um, you want them to be. I see a lot of people getting started with Home Lab, 
they make they want to make everything externally available because they want to show all their friends and their coworkers. <laughs> hey, look at this thing that I have available. I can get get to it from a phone, my computer. Um, well, guess what? Other people around the world can get to it as well. Um, so the first you know quick best practice is um, don't make it externally available unless there's a reason why you should do that. I mean, Wendell, have you seen anyone accidentally create a botnet? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I try to warn people all the time and they're like, let me put my IOT devices because I love them on the internet. And it's like, no, it's like, I want to be able to check the status of the hot tub from anywhere in the world. And it's like, no, no, why? Oh, it's already mining Bitcoin. This isn't great. Uh, I, yeah. You see this a lot with like the cheaper home security cameras. Like you get, you know, just the cheapest thing on eBay and the firmware is insanely out of date and people don't know, like they plug it in and they're like, all right, I forwarded some ports on my firewall or it's got an IPv6 address because a lot of ISP, even the carrier grade NAT ones are uh, allowing publicly accessible IPv6. And it's a crapshoot if that, if the firewall is actually locked down, ISPs are only just learning, oh wait, maybe we should actually turn that off by default. And so you have a lot of botnet traffic, even on IPv6 addresses, and then all of a sudden, it's like, why am I locked out of my own cameras? That's because it was yeah. on the internet. It's yeah. No longer under your control. Right. And it's one of those things. It's exciting to say, cool, I set this server up at my house or I got these cameras and I'll just port forward something. Or uh, perhaps even your firewall has that built in for you. And the UPnP just activated and yeah. opened up insecure ports. Uh, it's one of those things we try to make people very conscious of because on the other side, those botnets that get created by the home users is almost, I'm going to say less a threat to the home users, but part of the basis of threat for the enterprise users because they take all those bots and point them at whatever service they want to dial a service yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and it's just you can you can you can have something as convenient as get to it anywhere from your phone but you know use a vpn use something like a linode proxy take some steps you gotta you gotta understand what the risks are and then you can put your horribly insecure internet of things devices on the internet because from their point of view they're not really on the internet you're sort of remoting into the kiddie pool with them and you know, you're all just sort of existing pretty happily in a kiddie pool and nothing nothing bad will happen that way. And one of yeah. the simple solutions, and well, there's more than one, and both of them are right, just depends on which one you want to do, is putting a proxy um, and then choosing which proxy, whether you want to go Nginx or HA proxy. I'm kind of a fan of HA proxy, done several videos on it, and it becomes kind of a choke point. HA proxy itself is a popular solid project with a lot of eyes on it. So if you put a proxy in front of your horribly insecure camera system that maybe is lesser looked at, but adding these proxies uh, kind of create a choke point of authentication and vetting of things coming in. It has to match right. certain uh, parameters, you know, when you build the proxy rules before it hands off to whatever thing that you want behind the firewall. So these are kind of ways to mitigate it. I think and Wendell can certainly speak more to the Nginx. I believe you had a tutorial you did on that recently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in HA proxy is great because it's built into PFSense. And so if you've got PFSense, definitely just go with that because the GUI is great and the, it's pretty flexible. Some of the terminology in the GUI is a little obtuse if you don't know what you're doing. So definitely check out those tutorials. On the Nginx side, um, it's, it's pretty much the same kind of a thing. There's a, there's a guy that wrote a, an open source, uh, uh or not an open source, like a, it's like $5 or something like that. Uh, GUI for managing the Nginx configuration, but there's a guide in the level one forum for setting it up and you can run the Nginx proxy on Linode or on your, you know, your router firewall gateway or somewhere else. And 
you can basically consolidate a whole bunch of different services into a single open port and a single IP address. And you can also do authentication there. So like one of the great features or accidental features of HTTP is that HTTP, the protocol and HTTPS actually support authentication. So like whatever, like when you go to a website and you've got like a, a form that you fill out and it's like all pretty and gooey and blah, 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 that's authentication at the app level. But there's actually also authentication at, for lack of a better way to describe it, the protocol level with HTTP. So you can require that the server authenticate with the client, even with certificates. If you want to get really fancy, you can do it with certificates. But uh, let's not do that. Yeah. <laughs> not for newbies. Right. Uh, it's a but, complex uh, setup. <laughs> but you can have a user and password there that will then let you into, you know, you know, next cloud or something like that. And that's a pretty good solution in terms of making it hard for the botnets to find you. And that also helps with the application logs. So like if you're watching your next cloud logs and it's like, why am I getting constant logins, you know, for Bob, they've got that first password. And so that's something you should pay attention to. Whereas by default, there's so much background noise of just being on the internet that you can't really separate the real threats from the hacked toasters in Estonia. <laughs> yeah, the other advantage this adds is an easy way to have multiple different websites, so to speak, or multiple different URLs uh, tied to a single port. So you don't need a bunch of IPs. You can have just your one IP provided by your ISP and bring everything in there. And the way the rule sets work in proxies is they look at that name that came in and that redirects them to the server that they wanted to land on. So the different, you know, fully qualified domain name will then match the server. So once again, they don't even know necessarily they, as in the random bots, they'll be pinging at the door as soon as you open up something, they may not know what services are available. They just see a proxy and whatever it may serve up by default. And <laughs> Do we want to talk about Shodan.io? Because oh. <laughs> you can search for yourself on there and be like, wait, those are my cameras. Why are my yeah. cameras on this search engine? <laughs> oh, no. That's a great idea to do that. I, I um, use an Nginx container that um, you know is able to provide external access to things. And ever since the pandemic started, I actually disabled the firewall rule that routes the traffic because I'm always home. So now no one can get to it from the outside because I never leave anymore. Um, <laughs> so at this point, it's like, why even have it externally available? I just disable the rule. But then um, what I like about the HTTP proxy idea is, in my case, since it's on a Linux container, I could put fail to ban on there looking for those HTTP auth requests coming in and failing certain number of times to get them on the blacklist. So that's another thing you can easily hook into that. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, it's like when you start getting when you start getting fancy like that, you can also, you know, aggregate your logs and do lots of fun, interesting stuff. And I love adding the stuff to failed ban, but then also flagging things. And it's like, oh, Russian Federation, China. Oh, Department of Defense IP addresses. What? <laughs> oh, you're, you what? got their attention? <laughs> what's, that, uh, what's going on with that? Was yeah. it that Epic server that you had that got their attention? <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's fun because you never know where all of that stuff, you know, it, when you really look at it and you can like separate it and aggregate it and do a little bit of, you know, Grafana data analysis on it. It is very interesting, but it's also a really great way to level up your skills. 
Yeah, it's it, the background radiation, I think, is what Steve Gibson always calls it on the Internet. And it's what it is. It's just anything's open. You just go, wow, look at all these. Uh, you know, I've done a lot of videos on Sericata and it scares people because they go, I'm under attack. No, no, the Internet's under attack. You're just <laughs> you just turned it on and noticed. <laughs> I freaked out the first time I ever saw that early in my career. I'm like, oh, my God, why are these all these people trying to get into this server? Like, what's going on here? What, it didn't take me long to figure it out. But yeah, um, what was the what was the there was a wormable uh, a wormable problem in like before service pack one of windows seven and i can't remember what that was called oh, but, yeah yeah or something like that and yeah. if it wasn't nimda was another instance of that if it wasn't the one that i'm thinking of but wh whichever one it was if you plug a fresh windows seven <laughs> machine into the internet the time delta before it's infected is still about five minutes which honestly is very impressive for an obsolete operating system yeah, it's still that it's still out there floating around for reasons. Well, it's because there's a closet somewhere running this old server that's been breached and no one's ever going to turn it off. <laughs> well, maybe the scripts that these hackers are setting up are on a uh, five minute cron. <laughs> yeah, that could yeah. be the reason. It might be taking 10 seconds, actually. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> now, I guess after all this, the one of the other questions I'm shocked hasn't come up in the uh, chat yet is, well, how about hosting my own mail server? Because that's probably something everyone starts out thinking they want to do. But uh, let's all three of us have spent time and yeah. years of hosting mail servers. And there's a reason all three of us don't, despite being very well versed in this yeah. subject. Don't do it. I, did it. I did it for a year, actually. I And I, I had, I could be grumpy sometimes. So I, I, I forgot who my email provider was at the time. It wasn't Gmail or anything like that. I was actually paying for it and I put in the ticket. I didn't get a response the same day. I'm like, okay, that does it. I'm just going to do it myself. And then my stubborn arrogance took over and I butts around with the mail server, got it running, ran it for a year. And then after a year, I decided mental health is important and I decided not to do that anymore. It's, it's sort of nuts because, you know, you think email is just open up a port and dump some text into it, but like the last time that I DIY'd like what, what you went through, uh, it was, I need to set up a really robust solution for receiving the email and I need gray listing and spam filtering and blah, blah, blah. And these are not things that you get from a single package. You end up putting a whole stack of like 10 or 15 packages together that have their own care and feeding and updates and workflows. And then there's also things like, you know, SPF queries. Do we want to query that and add stuff about that to the header? Like, is does the domain match? Is there, you know, DNS that we need to deal with? Blah, blah, blah. So it, it does turn into this hugely complicated ordeal for the receiving side. And then storage is a question. Are you storing it on the mail server or are you just providing a simple client? IMAP is an option, but an IMAP is a fantastically, in my opinion, completely outdated protocol that doesn't do a lot of things. And so there are services that you can provide for like webmail that will give you like an API. But then if you go down that rabbit hole, it's like you need a PostgreSQL backend and then you need to index all the incoming mail for search and blah, blah, blah. And then so now you've got a whole other six or seven programs that require care and feeding. And uh, and then that HTTP protocol is not exactly standard. So it's like, how are you going to sync devices and do other kind of stuff? You usually like a lot of the programs out there now will emulate the exchange protocols because those aren't actually brain dead protocols. Yeah. And that's insane to me. Um, but, you know, I was rocking Zimbra way back in the day because it was ah. like, oh, this will be really good. And they were going this direction. I was like, is this, is all this insanity really necessary? And it turns out, yes, the answer is that. Or you can pay somebody five bucks a month and they have yeah. seven people on staff to deal with that. Yep. Yeah. 
That it's been the easier solution. I mean, I started out with send mail and writing proc mail recipes to figure out how to <laughs> mitigate spam. And uh, oddly, I didn't know this. The hero we didn't know we needed, uh, which is a story I hope he shares one day publicly, was uh, Michael Lucas. He used to do um, work for a big company, handing out IP addresses for spammers. <laughs> and <laughs> there's he used to help block list some of that. So I actually interacted with him indirectly before I read his books. But... <laughs> But the um, it, it's just a lot of work trying to manage that all the time. And it's, I, I know it's something that everyone gets excited about because they're like, like Wendell says, it starts out so simple sounding, but then it turns into you need all those other services and it's better to pay the few dollars a month to one of those services uh, instead. And if you don't like the big guys like Gmail or um, your Office 365, there is like Proton Mail and there's there's alternatives out there that are, you know, reasonable services where you can yep. still host your mail for personally, um, not necessarily good is good. They do offer some business services, but I don't I don't know how good they are. <laughs> I like um, Hover as well. For, for that. They're a good one for email. Uh, I haven't used Proton myself. So many people um, like that one a lot. So um, that, that that's a very uh, popular one. There's another one I like. I can't remember the name of it, though. Um, maybe I'll remember it by the end of the show. But uh, yeah, pay, pay somebody for it. it it's better. Yeah. <laughs> it, it really is kind of a paradox because on the one hand, you know, when I'm talking about like PostgreSQL and the, the email sieve thing and like the the uh, you know Bayesian filtering and blah blah blah, those are all like best in class technologies. And so somebody that really knew what they're doing looked at the technology stack and they're like, yes, I'm going to use all of this stuff. I'm not going to reinvent the wheel for the database server. I'm not going to reinvent the wheel for this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, what what we would actually ask for in a you know Soho email system is probably a single source, like a single program that's handling the inbound and handling all of that stuff and handling the protocol and handling the storage and handling the database indexing written in like Go or Rust. But the paradox is that that is inherently going to be worse than the solution that is built from all of the best in class other products, but infinitely more maintainable. Ah. So that's a, kind of a long-winded answer, but um, I'll be referencing this show every time someone <laughs> asks me about the email. Like this is this yeah. is three people, not just me, that says this. Yeah. The other one someone mentioned in the chat, fast mail. That's the other one that I was thinking of, and I have used that one. I really do like that one. So we have fast mail, proton mail, hover are three really good solutions, in my opinion, for that. Ah, uh, um. So now we can get off the email topic and yep. file management, like Nextcloud, maybe. Yeah, I like it. I I think that's been a project that's been around. You know, I, it's a split from the original own cloud. There's some history there, but use Nextcloud because people say, "What about the other one?" And Nextcloud's been around for a while now. It's a mature project. It's yep. got so many features and plugins. It's I would say getting very enterprise ready. It's it's a pretty powerful tool you can have in your home mm -hmm. lab. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of plugins too. Like uh, we'll talk more about uh, ebook management, actually, probably in this section. But one one thing is that um, you know Nextcloud allows you to do that too. Uh, may not be the best solution for viewing ebooks in a browser. It, it's fine. It's not the greatest thing, but it works. But there's a lot of other plugins on there as well. Um, you know, it has all the usual stuff like calendar contacts, file synchronization, pictures, and whatnot. Um, there's like almost like an entire app store equivalent in Nextcloud. So you could just add whatever features that you want. And I highly recommend it. I run a Nextcloud server and I have for quite a long time. I don't use the file sync. Um, we will be talking about file sync in a moment, but um, 
Uh, nothing against Nextcloud because I did use the file sync and I didn't have any problems with it. I just went a different direction for uh, a reason that wasn't against Nextcloud actually. So I, I do highly recommend it. Your Nextcloud user, Wendell? Yeah, I like Nextcloud a lot. I like putting the HTTP auth in front of it. Uh, I've, I've definitely experienced uh, noobs, I guess, getting in with Nextcloud, and then it's like they're not immediately updating or they're installing every sketchy plugin that they can find. And it's like, well, there's kind of security implications, so we need to think about this. And they're just like, ah, it'll be fine. And then, you know, a couple of instances of ransomware later, they're like, maybe you were right. Yeah, one one thing I warn people is, obviously, I'm a big fan of the TrueNAS platform, but the hang-up that comes a lot is the fact that the plugin version of NextCloud is a little bit behind. That being behind is also where the security problems can come in. So if there was a problem found today, it may not be this week before they get that plugin updated, but it really should be this week if you have it publicly exposed. But, right. you know, reference back earlier, like we said, put a proxy in front of it so you have mitigated some of that exposure uh, and, you know, kind of quarantined off some of your risk, especially if you're uh, getting excited going, Hey, look at all these cool plugins people wrote <laughs> that may not be vetted. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's really awesome. <clears throat> There's a video on learn Linux TV. If anyone wants a walkthrough of uh, setting it up on a Linux server, I have a walkthrough for that. So um, maybe we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. If you want the most up-to-date version, spinning it yourself is um, going to be the way to go on that. It's, I, I'm sorry. I love you. I love you folks at TrueNAS if you're listening, but the plugins are sometimes a little <laughs> lagging behind. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I like um, the idea of um, the containers and automation stuff. Uh, Jay, I noticed that I think you were doing or doing or planning some some content on like Ansible, I think. Is that right? I have a whole series already done. Actually, as a matter of fact, I'm thinking about refreshing it like within within the next six months for Ansible, uh, the newer version. But the, the current version of the video works just fine. Um, I can't remember how many episodes. I want to say it's 15 or 16 episodes long. And then I did some standalones after that. Uh, one is for Ansible Pull, and then another is for Ansible Vault that people can watch after that series. I am literally um, Ansible obsessed. I don't know why, like I Ansible all the things and I mean <laughs> everything. Like I literally have the deploy down or a provision down to one command. I um, have this, uh, it's kind of a hacky solution, but it works. It's an internally available Apache server that serves a bash script. So normally I don't like telling people to do like curl, you know, URL type of pseudo bash, but it's in my my network and you can't get to it from the outside. So on my laptop, I run literally um, curl deploy slash bootstrap um, pseudo pipe to bash done walk away. And then the next <laughs> thing, and just to give you an idea, like it, it can take um, Ubuntu minimal, um, for example, which is just command line up to a fully installed GNOME environment with wallpaper, uh, GTK themes, all my apps, flat packs, like literally Google Google Chrome, set it to true, you get Google Chrome. Set Steam to true, you get Steam. Um, that's the level that I go with this. I have a host virus file with like 30 different variables on there and I could customize it um, with whatever apps I want. And all I got to do is run that one command because it's in version control. And um, my servers are in the same spec because I have a workstation role and a server's role is intelligent enough to know which one to provide. And then I have the base role, which is like, everybody gets that. I don't care if you're a laptop, desktop, server, base roles for everyone. And then it splits into server and workstation stuff after that. So 
I've been kind of building that for like five years. And I, I did put that code. Um, it's an earlier version. It's kind of old. I have a, um, I actually have that on the GitHub page, which was kind of like a um, clone of my Ansible code, but sanitized. But and some of the stuff um, has been deleted, like password hashes and whatnot. But um, yeah, de definitely check out the channel. I'll be doing more, but I, I have uh, the first series up. So if anyone wants to learn Ansible, you definitely can do that. Yeah, great for getting all those deployments done automatically. Automatically, yeah. that's um, that's definitely true. Um, but one thing I think we might want to consider talking about, even if it's just quick, is sync thing, since we're on the topic of file management. Um, now, Nextcloud does, it, I mean, it does synchronization, and I switched to sync thing only because I wanted like a, you know, kind of like the Unix way, do one thing and do one thing well. Um, I wanted a sync solution that was just the sync solution that was kind of outside of everything and didn't depend on um, out-of-date plugins and TrueNAS or anything. But then again, I still kind of ran into that problem because the sync thing plugin is currently out of date in TrueNAS, but we won't talk about that. Um, sync thing is my personal favorite for syncing files. Um, Wendell, do you have a a tried and true solution for that? R-Sync. Yeah. <laughs> ZFS send and R-Sync? Uh, you know, I don't know. No, uh, I've used sync thing a lot. I don't I don't think I have any current instances of sync thing because when I was monitoring it, I saw kind of a lot of traffic. Not a lot, like it was transferring data, but I saw kind of a lot of traffic to the internet and it was like, this is, this is something that I've misconfigured or do I need to look more into this? And I've since learned that that was some kind of like discovery protocol that it has. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah. I disable all those because of that same reason. Um, yeah. They have in in the realm of we try to be as helpful as possible by default. You can use those QR codes that it generates and the ID. They have their own relay servers yeah. and uh, they certainly will flag IDS systems, flag them because they're kind of scattered around the Internet to a couple different places and they look yeah. suspicious. But um, I usually turn all that off on anything we run in production. But it's hard to say to do that in a video because it helps people so much from a discovery standpoint, because yeah. you've got two people at two locations and it can do this without any port forwarding by just saying, just share your IDs and say, accept and the relay <laughs> servers will figure it out. And I believe it uses UD, uh, UDP hole punching to kind of bridge the connections between them. That's yeah. how they can maintain a server's low cost. So it's, yeah. it's got that as a problem, but on the upside, and I just did a video on this the other day was um, if you, do lock it down so speak and just uncheck the boxes uh, in the settings or not even anything you have to do from the command line then go to the untrusted node option and that's kind of a cool feature i think they added so you can actually build an untrusted node in the cloud somewhere that's encrypted but then have you and all your friends sharing files that bridge across this one node you set up and the node is blind to anything more than ip address they even went as far as they scramble the date and time of the file and the uh, file gets chunked in little pieces so you can't even extrapolate the size of single files. It's just all, it's kind of cool the level of detail they went through breaking this apart, but it's a great real-time synchronization tool. You know, consider it, uh, look at it like, you know, how OneDrive, well, I can't say OneDrive, it doesn't sync as good as uh, Dropbox. It's more like Dropbox, I should say. OneDrive, yeah. in the ideal world of when it syncs everything properly. <laughs> But it's not a selective yeah. sync. You point it at a directory, it syncs what's in that directory. It's, it doesn't have the granular controls you're going to get with some of the enterprise products. But for some people, and I always got a kick out of Jay's use case of keeping all of his save game states and his emulators in yep, sync yep. with each other. My, my, ret my retro pies. Yeah, I have a retro pie on every TV. Um, and I also have some handheld ones too. And they're all on sync thing. And, and um, the reason why I bring up this topic, even though it's like a gaming topic, but... 
I think the reason why I bring this up is because it illustrates that if you're if you have a creative mindset or you apply creativity to a solution like SyncThing, you could use it outside of its intended um, you know use case. It's like it's not an advertised feature. This will help you sync your save games. Um, it, it syncs whatever you want it to sync. So I literally can just be playing you know uh, Final Fantasy VI on one TV and um you know put it down and then go to another tv like maybe the bedroom or you know in, in the office or something like that i'm not supposed to be playing final fantasy 6 when i'm working so we'll pretend i didn't say that but i'll i'll pick up the game and i'll have my save file right where i left off and the roms themselves will sync too so i add it to uh, my master sync thing and it just sends the rom and i even have like the uh, metadata for the games on a on an automatic git pull so one retro pie updates the the, the metadata for a game, they all even have that too. Um, but as an aside, how I use SyncThing in general is probably not the way that most people use it because I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Tom, don't, don't most people like sync everything to everything, kind of like a mesh kind of thing going um, on? Sometimes, like we even use this commercially, we we combined it with Zero Tier for um, a company that had dispersed data that they had on these little small devices. So we tied it to zero to or tied it to sync thing and it just synchronized all the little files that went scattered around. I may do a video on how we solve that solution for them because it's kind of a clever way to do it. Uh, but a lot of the use case we see is mostly, you know, even like how we use it, we use it for uh, specific documents here at the office. We have a common folder that's synced between me and the other management team. So we just drop a file in there and all of us can instantly see it. It seems to me faster and easier sometimes than doing things than with, uh, you know, things like Google Drive or NextCloud. Also, because it works so well in Linux, but if I go to a client site, I have it tunneled over a VPN. I'll update a network scan and all that data is, as soon as I close the laptop, I don't get to open it again. It, it was VPN back to my office. It was sync thing. Then that folder has, you know, the, the output from the results of whatever I was scanning at their office. And it's available to all my staff in real time. So, you know, we've used it for a lot of more focused use cases like that. But obviously just simple use cases of, I just need to synchronize all these files because I randomly save things. I don't want to think about backing it up on a schedule. That would be hard. <laughs> so the way that I use it is I have, I use, I think the best equivalent of this mindset is the star topology where you have, you know, something in the middle and then you have things connecting to it, but they don't connect to each other. So my laptop, for example, I save a file on my laptop. It syncs to TrueNAS. And then my desktop also syncs to TrueNAS. So the file first gets to TrueNAS and then from TrueNAS, it goes to the desktop. So everything is through the central node. But then on the TrueNAS, I have a data store for every sync thing folder. I don't use the, the default folder that's just called sync. I have a documents folder, a projects folder and so on. I think I have like five different ones. And each of my computers will sync those five different folders and they all sync to the TrueNAS. And because they're on, Ind individual data stores per um, sync thing share, I can selectively roll back one particular shared folder or access the contents of one particular shared folder to do file recovery. I think I have like four months of um, differentials and uh, yeah, true now. So I, I guess the I should probably close this part by or at least my part part of this <laughs> by just saying um and summarizing with be creative because you can apply solutions like this in um you know pretty interesting ways to figure yeah. your case and i think the next you know popular topic that we have to address though is going to be in the realm of plex am i right about that the media it's all uh, the media yes you know it was i, I netflix 
ended piracy. Like I could buy a subscription and piracy suddenly became not worth it. And then everyone mm-hmm. charges $12.99, $13.99, $14.99 a month. And now we're back to, I guess we have to have our own media libraries again. I think that's where the it's heading. Especially yeah. I've seen Amazon bought MGM, which means all the cool things that MGM ever put out are now going to be probably only on Amazon and pulled from uh, there. So there's no doubt. I mean, you can legitimately buy the media and put it back in your servers because that's the way you're supposed to do it. And yep. so we, all of us are doing it. And, uh, and, yeah. Watch it all on Plex. <laughs> My biggest pet peeve with uh, things like Netflix is that you get to this um, model where you need to watch every single episode of this series by Friday because it's going away. Crap. I'm only on season one. I'll never make it. Um that 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 not owning and you you don't own it so you don't know, you don't know how long it's going to be there. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of the challenges. I, I think that even some of the younger generations, it's a different concept to them because they're used to not owning the media. And I'm old enough to go, no, I remember buying things on DVD and I would possess the media that I could watch at any moment. Not oh, I guess it's gone and not available anymore. <laughs> so, um, and you know, this even probably applies to, and we'll get to the topic of books too, but uh, on the topic of just general media, Plex has been a, you know, I bought it when there was a sale a long time ago. They had like some perpetual lifetimes, one-time subscription. Uh, I think, I feel like it was a Black Friday sale, but it's been so long, I can't remember. But either way, I, I've been using it for a long time and it's just a great way to serve up all your media. And I don't just mean movies. Uh, I mean, even like, a good way to index and organize just personal videos I've done and uh, photos I have of things I like. And it's, you can put it all together in one nice thing. And it's kind of supported by things like Chromecast and lots of other media playing devices. So once you have the server in your house, you can serve up all that media and it makes it generally easy to share uh, with other people to share your Plex server libraries. I I use it for training videos too. When I want to learn something new and I I buy um, training videos sometimes through um, packed because you can download them and then I just throw the files up on Plex so I can watch them on my TV. I'll have them forever. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's how we can torture when family comes over. We can do the family photo thing and look, I can play it on my TV. <laughs> <laughs> Let's learn all about Active Directory family. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That's scary. Uh, yes. But so it's uh, it, what are definitely a great program. What are some alternatives to Plex uh, just to keep it complete? Because I just use Plex. I never check out the other things. There's there's a, a lot of um, up-and-comers that have uh, – there's MB, but it's not called MB anymore. It's like Jellyfin, I think, and um, mm-hmm. uh, a whole bunch of other ones depending on what sort of media that you want. And, you know, uh, Plex has uh, – uh, Cody, that's another one. Uh, and Plex has added support for books. But also, um, uh, like the caliber book server. Um, but if you if you want to take it to the nth degree, you can build a bot that will scour the internet looking for media, and it's usually pretty effective. And then magically, things just show up on your hard drive, and it's like, oh, is that the latest HBO series? That's weird. Yeah. How did that get there? <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Don't no can't ever do a how to on that. <laughs> Yeah, there, there are <laughs> topics you should probably avoid if you're a YouTuber. <laughs> but there, there may be some forum posts where you'll find this information. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't. The media companies are very, very against owned media, and it's just, you know, owned media was like you know the the land of VHS that was carved out by the Supreme Court, 
And they just keep right. whittling away the little island until there's just, you know, I feel like we're standing on a toothpick at this point. Yeah. And it's like, you know. <laughs> they need to get with the program. I remember at one point, this was quite a while ago, when, you know, ripping audio CDs was a really big thing. Well, I mean, it kind of still is, but it was kind of like, not new, but it was, you know, still current. And um, someone, I think, asked the recording industry or some representative, like, okay, so if I have a CD, why can't I just, or why shouldn't I be able to rip that? Well, you, then they said, well, you should, if you want a digital copy, you should buy the CD and then go and buy a digital copy. And, and I'm thinking, why? Like, it doesn't even make sense. I have the CD and I want to enjoy it on my devices. And if you're not going to facilitate that, then I'm going to facilitate that. And that seems like the community in general's mentality. It's like, if the companies aren't going to solve this problem, we are going to solve it. And then the yeah. companies get mad that we solved it. Yeah. Um, my favorite example of this, and I'll never forget this, is so funny. Like, I'm not personally a fan of Celine Dion, but she's got a killer voice. But she had this um, uh, this album out, and I think Sony put like some you know millions of dollars into um, making it so you can't actually play that CD or have it be recognized in a computer, but it'd be recognized in an audio CD player. They put a lot of money into this, and someone defeated it with a sharpie. They looked at the bottom of the CD. They 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 knew where the track of junk data was because it's painfully obvious. I think it might have been a different color. And they literally just traced the track with a Sharpie and let it dry, of course, put it in their computer, and it was perfectly fine. So somebody defeated like million-dollar copy protection with a Sharpie. Yeah. Um, and it was just this back and forth battle and then it perpetuated into movies, obviously. Um, that led to Sony appropriating your computer with rootkits, uh, you yep. know. Yeah, uh, the infamous rootkit from Sony. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, we'll, we'll just take over your computer and prevent you from doing that. And it's like, and that was like some real, you know, state-sponsored malware levels of rootkit. Yeah, that was that was quite the instance. I, you know, it it's one of those things. It's crazy the power, and it's why we refer to in the U.S. here the copyright laws, the Mickey Mouse law, because the movie companies are um, they're the powerhouses when it comes to being of uh, lobbying for control over a lot of these things. They're, and, uh, they're, they're so paranoid about losing control that they successfully lobbied the industry to have encryption between your monitor and your video card. How insane is that? Yeah. It's like, we don't trust you, the user to, you know, peel away the digital bits in this cable. So we're going to come up with this really overly elaborate, complex encryption system between your display and uh, your graphics card. And that's actually been really problematic for things like display stream compression. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. when we're talking about like 8k, it's actually lower latency to compress the signal, send it and then decompress it on the far side than to send an uncompressed signal. And uh, because we just don't have the signaling rate to keep up with like 8K, the high definition, blah, blah, blah. And uh, all of this is hamstrung by idiotic ancient Hollywood policies. And I keep hoping that enough people that aren't from, you know, 1903 (laughs) make their way into you know, uh, politics. So they could just be like, no, this is stupid. We're not going to do that, but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. So one of the longevity is a problem. People are living too long. (laughs) That's a solution. (laughs) Yeah. Well, one of the things that I, I hate the, or I guess one of my pet peeves about that, other than that itself is the mindset that they have where they'll say things like, if you're not trying to copy stuff, then this doesn't affect you in any way, which is totally (laughs) false. And I'll, 
I'll give you an example. Like it's like every week my son will come to me and be like, cause he's on YouTube and he's doing like the, the game streaming thing. And he's like, uh, yeah, my screen recorder doesn't work anymore. And I go to his computer and it's got, I think it color, it's colored red because uh, copy protection was triggered. And now the screen recorder is designed to like stop recording because it has to respect that. But I can't figure out what on his computer is causing it. It's like a false positive that keeps happening. Yeah. And the game itself doesn't isn't known to stop that. And eventually, I mean, it just keeps disrupting his recording that he's doing for fun with his leisure time. All of a sudden, it stops recording, and we have to go and reset the stupid thing. So it it um, we it's just it's horrible. It's just super annoying, and it's just a bad idea all around. I've yeah. uh, I've noticed in the Resident Evil Eight, every time you use its camera tool to take a screenshot, it plasters a really nice copyright Capcom twenty twenty one at the bottom <laughs> of it, and it's like, you know, just I mean, okay, the game assets are, are and artwork are copyright Capcom, but there was some creative work here that I did in arranging the camera and moving things around and blah blah blah, and you can't just appropriate my creative input to this. Right. That's that's stealing. That's the thing that you're accusing us of. <laughs> <laughs> there has to be a happy medium and putting giant copyright Capcom blah 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 in a game screenshot is about, uh, is, is you know is peak uh, plutocracy. How about giving these kids like an affiliate link instead of a copyright thing in their stream? They're getting <laughs> yeah. free publicity from this. Yeah. Um, we can kind of talk all day about these yeah. horrible laws, but one thing I want—we're all to... passionate about that part. Of it. Yeah. We'll just we'll just say that that's how we got we off this topic. We get annoyed. <laughs> No, yeah, we get annoyed by it easily. But um, I wanted to give a shout out to Plexamp in this category of multimedia because um, Plex has allowed you to um, have your music be a part of your library for quite a long time now. And they put out Plexamp is a phone app that basically is almost like your own Spotify. You, you just It could just hook into your Plex server that you may already have. And if you have music in there in your library, it allow you to listen to your music collection when you're on the go. Um, and I used to set up um, dedicated apps for this. I think um, I started with MediaTomb on the PS3 back in the day. Mm. And then there's like, um, was it, is it Mad Sonic? I want to say something like that, um, that people were self-hosting for music. And now we have Plexamp. And so. I, I think it's kind of cool because the, being able to host your own music matters, especially if you are a nerd who happens to like certain nerdcore rappers and you're like, I like that obscure song that is not going to be found on Google Play or any of the popular services. And, you know, you can throw them. Sometimes they'll give you the downloads for free. Sometimes they say, hey, you know, the buy me a coffee donation, Patreon, whatever. And they'll give you some of the MP3s, which is great. And then now you need a place to play them and put them so you can, you know, listen to them at your leisure because um, don't upload them to YouTube and try and listen to them that way will only cause some type of oh boy they they cut a track that mixed in something from somewhere that someone has a claim to so you know uh being able to host that again is it, it, pretty big i mean if you're a music fan at all and it's it there's a that that goes back a little bit not to get us off topic but to the same problem where a lot of artists have kind of fought the same thing where people will make a lot of claims against their media you know artists want their media to be enjoyed and this is an easier way to enjoy it than trying to subscribe to one of the corporate services that may or may not figure out a good way to, uh, to monetize their type of uh, content. Yeah. yeah, there was there's a story every day about like a music teacher that's like performing like out of copyright music. Like here's Beethoven. It's like, oh, Warner Chappelle has claimed that. Yeah. And it's like, what? What? 
No, it's somebody playing classical music. It's just you should own your own media to protect against that kind of idiocy. Yeah. Um, because it's only a matter of time before. Well, like uh, there was an iTunes update. Um, so I know somebody that has a really extensive, heavily curated library in iTunes. And iTunes has the mix MP3 and something else and whatever. And about six months ago, there was an update to iTunes. And anything that it couldn't find in the Apple App Store just disappeared. And it was just gone. Oh, and so no. he was like, yeah, he was freaking out. And it, Apple wow. support was like, oh, yeah, no, this is a new feature. We do this thing, blah, blah, blah. And it, it didn't delete the data, but it did everything that it possibly could to make it be like, this is just not available anymore. It's not a thing. And we were able to like roll back and like copy the MP3s and then like reimport them. But if he was doing, uh, it was, well, he was doing, uh, uh an apple like the apple migration thing and on the new machine it didn't migrate any of the data either so it was just like no you don't you don't need that like those aren't those are probably like copyright protected mp3s we can't copy those and it didn't it didn't warn him it just wasn't there one day and uh fortunately there was a copy there was still a copy on another machine or something and it was we were able to copy it from there and, and got it back wow. but but uh, it was like, you know, now it's like, I don't trust iTunes. What do I need to do? And it's like, well, let's get a NAS. Let's get ZFS. Let's get snapshots yeah. going. And snapshots are the way that you protect against, oops, I'm going to delete that now because I'm the copyright police, <laughs> if that's what was happening. So what I do, if anyone's curious, and this is what I recommend, if, if this is something you agree with, um, I buy CDs still, and I will continue to do, to do that as long as they're still produced. And I use an app called Asunder on Linux to do the ripping. I rip into 499 kilobit AUG, which I find is like the best quality you can get without it being like a wave or a black file. Um, that's what I do. So I just literally buy CDs and I just uh, I have a port, like an external CD drive that I plug in. I just use a sunder to rip the CD or rip the music off of it. And I just throw it on the, on the file server from there. So if anyone is curious about a ripping app nowadays, that's the one I use. There's probably other ones, um, but that works for me. So that could be an option. Yeah, there's there's a lot of valid to that. Um, I helped a friend a number of years ago now. He was worried about CD players becoming obsolete. And uh, he we used to be part of the road crew to set up large bands that included like Metallica and those. And because he worked on them, he had access to all kinds of garage band day stuff. He would get them. They would give him different CDs from back then. So he's got all that stuff in, in, in collections. And he's, you know, once you convert it all, uh, it, it's great. And it's kind of cool because somewhere I, I'm, you know, one time, I should get a copy of it because I don't know what he's doing with it and holding on to it all. <laughs> like he's he's not a tech person at all, but it's it's kind of cool because that would be lost. There's a lot of cool things and uh, stuff that got recorded from way back when that is not easily found or even really available. It's kind of like how people, uh, some of the bootleg stuff uh, that was around for a while or the different tapes you used to get and how those have been carried forward. I think it's still important to preserve a lot of that because it's not easy to find a place to put it. <laughs> Dateline 2025. That's illegal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, the Disney Corporation would like to know your location. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, oh gosh, that scares me so much. Um, speaking of, um, well, I should say something that doesn't scare me is um, browser sync now because um, I'm trying out Flocus, if I'm pronouncing that right. F L O C C U S. And if you want to take control of uh, basically browser sync, like bookmark sync, and I know there's probably other solutions for that as well, 
Flockus can hook into Nextcloud, for example, which is great. It can also hook into Google uh, Google Drive, which I don't know how I feel about that. But um, at least if you have Nextcloud, there's an option there. There's a plugin for the browser if you want to do um, browser sync without using like one of the you know services like Google Google service for that same thing. So there's an option as well. Yeah. So you don't have to tie into the Google to sync things and stuff like that. That's that's always been kind of a sometimes a challenge because we have to rely on one of these browsers, whether it's Chrome or Firefox, and getting them synchronized without having a third-party public cloud provider involved is uh, kind of important. I mean, it, most of us have more than one place we access the internet, not just one computer. So uh, keeping that in sync is definitely um, huge. I've not tried that particular product, but I, maybe I'll check it out. It's it, it really for like the Windows users, they haven't experienced the joys of having everything in your home directory and how basically everything in your home directory is kind of more or less a file sync. And with the browser, it's annoying because you never close the browser. So, okay, yeah, you need some you need something more than just file sync for the browser. That's fine. But, the, you know, like changing a GNOME preference or something and just having stuff synced from your home folder and then having that preference reflected on other machines that you're syncing that's a huge deal. And like on windows, it's like, you know, windows doesn't respect anything. It's like, I'm going to change my wallpaper. And then it's like, Oh, it's time to upgrade. I'm going to get the second half, whatever. And it's like, no, oh, let's reset that. It's like, oh, I'm going to change my application preferences. No, you really want to use Bing. It's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Have that. yeah. That's, that's not good. But, um, I, uh, yeah. someone brought up something in the chat that I think is worth mentioning though. And I, I agree, uh, download podcasts. Absolutely. Um, that's something that can happen with companies and, there, there are play, you know, because of the way they own the content. Um, if they sell their podcasts, and Joe Rogan was using an example that you were right, you will not find his content somewhere else now because the, he sold the rights to all of it. So they'll pull it off other platforms or put it behind a paywall, which wouldn't sh surprise me at some point if certain shows end up behind a paywall because you know it's popular and they're like, hey, reference Joe Rogan episode, whatever. And people are like, oh, yeah. By the yeah. way, it's behind a paywall now. Um, so, yeah, it's valid that when podcasts are available, um, it was we provide this podcast uh, as a file you can download right from the website. Do as you please with it. Download it if you want to reference this 10 years from now. <laughs> I can't guarantee that I will keep this up for 10 years. I will try, but things happen. If uh, I got a $100 million offer from Spotify to take it down, I love you guys, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's, a, I, uh, that's a nice offer. <laughs> I, there's there's so many there's so many things that are related to media, not, not just with podcasts, but also just media and like the possibilities. Like the upscaling AIs now are incredible. And I would love, for years, I wanted to do a how-to on take an old crappy ATX case that has like 17 five and a quarter inch bays throw in a bunch of $5 DVD drives that you got at the swap meet and let's build the ultimate like media ripping thing where you're ripping owned media. Cause I've got all kinds of stuff that's hard to get in streaming. Like I like, you know, like the old TV show monk. I don't know why it's, it's just, I can, great. I, can, I can, I can identify with <laughs> yes. one, one. Yeah. it's like, Oh, it's a gift. It's a curse. I can identify yeah. with that. He's such a and, great actor. <laughs> and it's like, I, I just want to, you know, put the disc in and close and then just have everything happen for me. And everything really is, you know, just happens. And the old Battlestar Galactica and deep oh, space nine and blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yep. But now the AI upscaled deep space nine is incredible. And so it's like, I want to rip my DVDs and then AI upscale them. And that's, you know, I feel like that should be permitted under the law with, you know, I'm uh, uh, ripping it, but then I'm also enhancing the quality and like, transforming it and doing stuff and i'm not distributing it this is for my own internal personal use but the media companies are like 
no, let's, you know, saw you're an even thinner toothpick. It's like, no, you must not format shift. Yeah. It, 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 I, yeah. I glanced up because there's a poster from the, I was at the screening um, for the opening of what they left behind the documentary on DS9. Oh, yeah. so I yeah. got a signed poster. So <laughs> great. Now I want to watch Deep Space Nine. Thanks. I, I know we did. I, me and me and my free watched that series again. You know, thank you, 2020, for that. We had time to do it. So, <laughs> there was nowhere else to go. So we watched all of it. It's a long series. But I mean, the, the mentality from a lot of the media companies is someone somewhere is enjoying our media. We're entitled to royalties for that. Yeah. Even if they paid for yeah. it once, they would love <laughs> you to pay for it again. You bought it once, but you would like a more enhanced version of it and upscaled. Yeah, but I already bought it, but we can charge you again for the upscaled version, right? Yeah, no. I, bought, I bought the Deep Space Nine seasons when you were trickling them out one season at a time. I didn't even wait for the full box that was on discount sale at Kmart. I got the expensive <laughs> ones. I should be entitled to do this. Uh, yeah, the end. I mean, it's it's like, do do we one day just put a Blu-ray in a in a our player, watch it, then put the same Blu-ray disc in our bedroom Blu-ray player, and it says this Blu-ray is locked to your downstairs TV. You have to that's buy another what copy. I want. That's probably what they would do. And then I was watching TV the other day, and I'm sure this is wrong, but it kind of scares me to think about it. But I'm watching FX now. I'm watching a show on there, and then there's a commercial break. Great. Um, so I hit the mute button because I don't want to hear that same commercial like. Over, over and over again and i'm wondering like when are they going to like disable the mute button when the um, <laughs> ads come in i mean they, they probably will at least try to do that someday I'm, I'm sure they can't i hope they can't but it's just kind of scary they just overreach with all these um you know rules and trying to gouge us to death don't forget that uh vizio has the thing in the firmware that fingerprints your content and even if it, you're playing from a media stick they got caught sending the file names and crap like that back to somewhere and it's like look you do your home lab thing correctly you follow us that is never going to be a problem because that tv wasn't on your network to begin with good <laughs> good luck phoning home when you don't know where home is yeah or it is on the network could you just do like a a firewall rule in plex because it's on its own vlan and you don't even let it out to the internet at all but you, but that allows your home assistant to talk to it yeah um, yeah I'm just thinking about like, you know, the stay at home mom from Saskatchewan. And it's like, now, all right, what we're going to do is configure your VLAN. And she's just like, what, what now? It's like, no, this is just basic hygiene. We have to do this. This is like, you know, internal plumbing. You're not drinking toilet water. This is the equivalent of drinking toilet water in the, the digital realm where you got to not do that. You got to understand some things here. Absolutely. Um, now, the last thing I think we should really talk about, though, mm -hmm. in related media is books. And what's oh, a good yeah, book server? I know Wendell started talking about this before the show, and I'm like, save it for the show. This is exciting. <laughs> yeah, this Caliber. Is the Caliber server. Caliber is incredible. So, like, if you if you have books, an extensive book collection, you live in the books. And so you need to be able to keep track of where you are and annotations and be able to find stuff and make notes and blah, blah, blah. And uh, Caliber is really, really good for that. But synchronization with Caliber sort of becomes the problem but there's a docker container that has this fairly elaborate setup that's essentially like <laughs> almost like a vnc client in the browser and you get to keep all the annotation and notes and blah 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 and you can sync that so you can have a backup and and and, and, and all of that kind of stuff so your books can be with you your whole book collection can be with you on your phone and and everywhere else and it's really crazy because a few years ago I went all in on like the Amazon thing. Cause they were like, Oh no, we're going to do notation. We're going to do this. And we're going to sync all your devices and blah, blah, blah on. We're talking like a five to 10 year time scale. That is all lies. 
when they are like, we're going to update our platform and everything's going to change. You can bring over your stuff for a limited time. I could get to my annotations and my notes, but then after that they were gone. Like I would have had to go through and move everything from A to B because they decided, Oh, we, this doesn't work for us anymore. We're going to do this a different way. And there've been instances where they would like go in and delete books from your library and not everything's available in their format. And you can kind of bring some stuff over but that's when it was like, this is this is another one of those situations where you simply cannot trust a company providing a service to not change its mind. You're going to have to DIY it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a person who's always been my hero is uh, Corey Doctorow. And I've you know read a lot of his books are really good. And he purposely avoids places like Amazon because he'll only publish his books on places because he gives them away for free that, you know, support open formats. And uh, that was, you know, years ago when I started getting into that, I was like, okay, and I found that same server. I never went as extensive as Wendell and set it up like that. I just used the uh, desktop application version, um, but it was, wow, this is a great way to handle and synchronize. Matter of fact, uh, one of the first e-readers I had done was I took the Nook and hacked it so I could run all my own books because they had restrictions. You couldn't use some of the open formats on a Nook and, you know, moved it over. But I, I, I think that's an important aspect because books, one, you can get a massive amount of density now um, on a small tablet. You can have so many books in a small area and uh, take it from three people who are YouTube creators when probably we all get this question. Hey, how did you learn this? I'm like, I actually read a book a lot of times before I do the video. Like I didn't watch a video to make the video. I either RTFM or frequently read the book on the topic. Um, so I, they're an available resource and maybe you start with some of the YouTube videos, but if you want to gain a really in-depth knowledge, I mentioned Michael Lucas earlier, his books are great ones to have in your possession, you know, SSH mastery and things like that. If you want to deep dive into these topics and gain some strong understandings of it, I see Wendell reaching. Yes. Within yes. arm's length, within arm's length. Yes. They should always be within reach digitally yeah. or physically. <laughs> I have, I have those books too, actually. We need to just have a Michael Lucas on here. We do. <laughs> it's like, a, you know, the, 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 the Michael Lucas fan club. It's like, go buy his books, go buy his books. Cause yes. uh, you know, in addition to like, the goodness of the books, you know, he gets it with like the whole publishing industry and like how it works and blah, blah, blah. And if you look at like how he's doing his authorship career, it really is a model for us and people in the audience for how you can conduct yourself, make a reasonable living, provide a valuable service to humanity because his books are going to be around, you know, long after he's gone, I'm sure for like the ZFS thing, but it's like, it's a very positive contribution to the state of the art and society it's very well written it's not you know dry as paper uh and you you learn something and you 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 read the material in a way that you absorb it which is you know you can't i can't i can't even say that for like some like the andy tenenbaum books or even some of the uh the nuff books um but those are also very good authors and um being able to have that you know always it's like i remember that I don't remember exactly. Let me look, click. And I, oh, I've got an annotation for that. Having that, it increases the size of your brain without any work, which is always what we want to do. Yep. Yeah. And books allow you to like borrow a little piece of someone's brain that they had when they did that. And it's why, you know, you make those notes, you reference back to it. You're like, this is how I understand this concept better because they understood it and they articulated it in a way like that. And by the way, I do have a uh, interview on my channel I did with Michael Lucas because he's local here to Detroit. And it's a lot of fun because you can learn that his first uh, dive into publication, he used to write an article in a BSD magazine called Big Scary Damons, which I just <laughs> love the name. <laughs> so 
we dive into his history and publishing and uh, he is, we, we staged props everywhere for the interview because we just had a stack of books. Sorry for the audio quality. It's when I was first learning how to put things on YouTube, but it's, it's completely intelligible. And of course, Michael Lucas is a riot. So <laughs> yeah, he's a great guy. I, I, I love talking to him. Um, anytime I get a chance to, he's he's just great, and Thank I you. love his uh, publication style. Um, I've, I'm kind of envious in a way because I have an actual publishing company, and I think his way is better um, by <laughs> far. His way is definitely better. I, with my ADD brain, it's like having a publishing company cracking the whip at me, like you got to get this done, got to get this done. Kind of helps me, but um, I, you know, not an excuse. Um, Self-publishing, you know, that's definitely better. Bottom line. <laughs> it's there's also like uh, I think it's in all of us too, but there's there's something that when you're standing so close to the void, it kind of marks you in a way, and it and it's like the level of you know suffering and horribleness that we've endured at the hands of technology in our career. It's just you're kind of marked in some way, and and he has yeah. that, but he's sort of parlayed that into. Uh, a happiness that I'll probably never know. And so that's really exciting. It's sort of fun to live vicariously. <laughs> it is. I, you, you're, you're right about that um, mentality because I kind of feel like working in the field hardens you because it's like um, someone in my family complains that a, a website took a long time to load. And my response is like, you should be lucky that it even loaded at all. Do you have any idea how um, like <laughs> complicated the, that delivery system is? Yeah, like the TCP IP <laughs> protocol is like, do you even know like how many like retranslations and packets must have happened? Because instead of just fixing it, we just made it retransmit um, because it's easier. And if you knew just how convoluted all of that was in the back end, you would have no faith in its ability to work at all by the time I get done explaining it. So I don't, because yeah. I don't want to it for anyone <laughs> it's a stack of leaky abstractions yep <laughs> well, i think we covered all the major topics here is there anything else we need to add i'll throw i'll throw some links down in the show notes uh to some of the things wendell's got the reference to nginx i got the ha proxy we brought up jay's ansible and of course this is this episode here stacks upon all the episodes from the beginning for all the different tools, because, you know, we've mentioned a lot about hosting media. Of course, you need a, a place to do it. We've talked about storage servers and specifically uh, another episode about TrueNAS. So plenty of other stuff to reference. Uh, Wendell from Level 1 Text, thank you for joining us. No problem. Thanks course, for having me. Of course, Wendell has a, a wealth of resources over at Level 1 Text. Their forums are great. I, I'm there. So <laughs> lots of good write-ups on there. I'm, I'm so sorry. But I'm trying, to, I'm trying to do lots of writing, so maybe it's useful. Yeah, I, I really love his channel so much. Um, but I have to ask, like, do you still feel like you don't want to live on this planet anymore? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's fine, though. I mean, you know, you can't it's you, you got to take sort of, a, 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 you know, everybody's got to take at least a little bit of a, a nihilistic approach to it because it's like, ah, twig on the stream. I can't go backwards, but I can at least maybe wiggle side to side and maybe it's OK. Yeah, <laughs> that, was, that was a really awesome video, by the way, that uh, that uh, might be a good one to just, just like not even mainly related or maybe it kind of is but it's just um you know getting a large scale epic server and what you know the storage and what you can do with it so i like big data processing and i cannot lie yes <laughs> <laughs> you know i and that's what me and jay we we brought the topic yeah. for those of you that haven't seen it go check out wendell's video with the title of i don't want to live this planet anymore and uh it was exciting because i, I like seeing all that in use for something cool um, not just because, you know, the, the number of people that have requested that I help them with Chia miners uh, in the last few weeks is <laughs> me. No, we're going to look for planets. We're not going to mine Chia. We're going to look for planets. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I should at some point maybe I'll tweet because I me and my friends at IX Systems, they we had some back and forth on how much we uh maybe don't like it as much about the Chia and how <laughs> kind of silly it is, basically. Right. But we love when we see use cases that are actually may literally lead to us uh, learning more about the solar system or some other scientific good. It scratches the nerd itch in a lot of us. So uh, uh, definitely exciting about that. But anyways, yeah. before, we, before we babble on for another hour, thank you everyone for joining us. Thank uh, you. This show is uh, brought to you by Leno, like we said at the beginning, and uh, all the other show links will be down below. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you.